everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Toward the series that we're doing, Contemplative Charismatic. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can just open right up to Ephesians chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible or if you forgot to grab one on your way in, there's Bibles on the tables in the corners of this room. And I feel like, uh, in a way, this series has been reflective of not a tension in the vineyard that we hold so much as a harmony between uh, the contemplative or the the intimate, the worship, the like the the dialed down non hype way that we interact with God, but also the the belief in God's power, and God's miracles, and the outpouring of God's spirit in ways that are like bigger than we are, bigger than we could imagine. And so today, I really I I want to bring the two together. We kind of did an overview the first week. We leaned toward the charismatic the second week. Then we talked more about the contemplative last week, remember, with Jesus saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. I love you just as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Today, I want to bring the two together as we talk about God's presence. And so just as a bit of review, there's a little chart or table that kind of runs through the two different sides of things. You've seen this. Maybe just one of those lines kind of is drawn out to you. But to summarize the two really quickly is to say that to be a contemplative means that we gaze at the beauty of God. We are drawn toward intimate relationship, friendship, uh, deep wells with God and his spirit and his presence. But as charismatics, we also celebrate the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we are not scared of the supernatural gifts, the miracles, the healings, the fact that God speaks to us and leads us and sometimes uses prophecy. Um, And so uh, why don't I invite my friend Wendy up? We're going to stand because we trust the Bible and we want to honor the one who is trying to reveal himself to us. We'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 3. You can see the mics there. Could you, are you able to come up on the stage? There's stuff there, Wendy. I want you to pay attention as best you can because this is some of the richest scripture in the Bible. It's a prayer of Paul. It's coming out of some of his most beautiful theology in a, in a climax of doxology or of praise and prayer. So go for it. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you may feel honored. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart 
as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Jesus Christ, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We ask that you would be our teacher today, that you would meet us, that you would fill us with your presence, with your spirit, that we would come to grasp just a bit more the depth of your love. We turn our hearts towards you. We open up our minds. So teach us. Amen. So there are three words that I want to pull out of this passage that I will comment on a little bit. Knowledge, love, and power. And so we've been talking about the contemplative and the charismatic a bit, and we've been talking about how the charismatic leans toward power, and uh, the contemplative maybe leans a little bit more toward love. But knowledge is another important component of this. Uh, The three words come to us in this passage, and what I've done is I've put them into a little triangle for you. You might might call this the love triangle. Uh, But what we see... I think in this passage, as well as the passage we read last week, that when it comes to Jesus, to measure maturity, we look at how people love. So the the more love you have for God, and the more you show love to other people, this is the way Jesus summarizes the entire Bible, love God first of all, above all else, and love others as yourself. This shows us how mature you are in your faith. Now, love without knowledge, love without power, has real problems. So love without knowledge means that I don't even know the person that I'm loving. I can pretend that the person is whoever I want them to be. I might even project my own personality, feelings, thoughts, opinions on that person and claim them for myself. People do this sometimes with God, right? Like without truth, without a foundation of knowledge or truth, they, God is always on their side. It's amazing. And love becomes like kind of this fuzzy, happy feeling that has no real roots. But again, in this triangle, I do think it's important that love is at the top. Love is, in a way, the goal. Knowledge, of course, is really important. And and in our culture, the gravity, especially in America, is toward knowledge. 
Now, when this, when this triangle becomes out of balance or if the goal becomes knowledge, what will happen is what's most important when it comes to maturity and faith is how much you know. How well do you know your theology? How well do you know your Bible? Again, knowing theology and knowing your Bible is important. But it becomes the, when it becomes the primary thing, what often will happen is the, the Bible becomes a weapon to put other people down. It becomes a tool to prop yourself up. Paul actually talks about this. Knowledge can puff us up. It can stir pride in us. And so, I mean, let, let us not become a church that puts knowledge over and above love. Knowledge is important. It's part of how we know about God. It's, it's knowing God and knowing our Bible are, are related. They're connected. But don't let, because of the gravity of the enlightenment, has pulled us toward knowledge, and it's very easy to default or to lean toward how much Bible we know instead of how well do we know God, how well do we love God. Likewise, in the charismatic circle, sometimes the lean is toward power. Uh, and power is, we might think of the big awesome displays, but power, like at its fundamental like root meaning, is just I can do this thing, or I can do this thing for someone. So this is not only a triangle that relates to like a spiritual reality. I think it also relates to how we relate to other people. But in my own life, what I've seen is if I've, I'm leaning toward power, the thing that matters most is how many miracles have I seen? How many like ecstatic experiences have I had? How many conferences have I gone to? But again, I think in this passage... Paul is pushing us toward love. Now, N.T. Wright puts it this way. He's probably the smartest living Bible scholar that I have ever read or uh, heard of. He says, ultimate knowledge. Oh, sorry. Jump down to N.T. Wright. Love is the ultimate form of knowledge. So you could think about it this way. So you saw maybe just this picture of this guy passing through. Let's go back to Dave Grohl. How many of you know who Dave Grohl is? One, two, three. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, that's good. He is the? Yes. Depending on your age, perhaps he is the lead for the Foo Fighters or the drummer for Nirvana. And I am, I will admit to reading his memoir, I will not admit to recommending his memoir uh, because of some of the adult themes and language in it. But anyway, he learned to, to play the drums mostly all by himself. So when he was like middle school, high school, he starts to pound on pillows to the beat to all of his favorite songs. And his mom and he would go to this jazz club to listen to the musicians and they would just stand in awe of how good these guys were in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. One day, he builds up the nerve to go to Lenny Robinson, who's a fairly famous jazz drummer, actually born in Philadelphia. Uh, but he says, Lenny, would you give me a drum lesson? And Lenny says, sure, 30 bucks an hour, which, I mean, isn't so bad. Now, back then, it was a little bit more, but he's like, you know, uh, Dave Grohl is calculating how many lawns do I have to mow and how many things will I have to not buy? And he's like, yes, absolutely. With, for Lenny Robinson, I will take drum lessons. So Lenny comes over to his house, pretty amazing, right? And he starts, 
I, I mean, I don't really, my jazz drum uh, impersonation uh, is not great. Isaiah could show, or Shane could show us better. Uh, but the, then he, then he hands um, Dave the sticks and he starts to play, you know, the, his, his most amazing riff. And uh, he's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show Lenny that I got the goods. And, and he stops and Lenny says, okay, first of all, you're holding the drumsticks backwards. <laughs> From Dave Grohl's perspective, he thought, well, you know, the skinny side is actually, that's easy to hang on to, and the thick side is probably going to make more noise, especially on my pillows. But Dave had it backwards. He was holding the drums backwards. And this is what I want to impress upon you. Do not get love and knowledge and power backwards. Keep love at the top. Keep God's love in focus. What Paul says here about love, oh, that's the wrong page. In Ephesians chapter 3, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. You see here even how knowledge, how understanding is aimed at the love of God. Have you ever seen something that your mind cannot fully understand or grasp? I'm going to show you something right now. Can you put the picture of me up? This is Steve Young jersey from the mid-90s. 49ers are in the Super Bowl. I want can you, can you comprehend what's in this picture? That's me. Actually, it's not a picture of me. It's a picture of the Grand Canyon. If you can, if you can possibly look past me, do you see the Grand Canyon? Have any of you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Let's put up a high-def photo of the Grand Canyon. If you've been to the Grand Canyon, your brain cannot comprehend. It's like, I can see that this is beautiful. I cannot even fully take it in. I've had this experience twice in my life. Grand Canyon, uh, the second time was in the Canadian Rockies. So I have a picture of the Canadian Rockies. I, I grew up going to the Colorado Rockies quite a bit, and they're big, like don't get me wrong, they're impressive. Go out west if you haven't. And then I went to Canada, it's like my brain. I, I, I went uh, with, for our honeymoon actually, we drove up into Banff and Jasper and went up to see some of the ice caps. And it's like your head hurts because you can't even take it in. You're, like you're, I could feel my brain like trying to reach out and understand how big and grand and beautiful the mountain was. And what Paul is trying to tell us here is the love of God is something our minds can only grasp at. It is deeper than the Grand Canyon, wider than the ocean, higher than the mountain. And even love is pointing us towards something. So, so knowledge, love, and power are all pointing us towards something. So I've turned this love triangle into perhaps what you might call the love capacitor, or the, the presence capacitor. <laughs> because this passage, passage is actually all about the presence of God. And this is where, as people in the vineyard, we want to live and move and pray, and worship, 
and love. And so let me just read through this passage. If you have a pen or something, even if you're borrowing a Bible, like just get your bodies involved in this. I want you to circle a few things. Starting in verse 12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we now come bodily and confidently into God's presence. Circle that. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Interesting that he would insert a little line about suffering right after God's presence. The answer to suffering, you know, there are cognitive intellectual ways that we can grapple with. Why is there evil in the world? Why do people suffer? But he's pointing us toward something beyond knowledge. Not anti-knowledge, something beyond knowledge, toward the presence of God. So, verse 14, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray. Now again, this is another prayer as a posture toward the presence of God, so you can circle that too. I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. When the Bible talks about God's spirit, we're talking about God's presence among us. It's the spirit that Jesus sends to his disciples. It's the spirit that God sends to fill his church with his presence. Then Christ will make his home. This is about presence. This is about God moving in. His home in our hearts as we trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to what? Understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, this English translation is, is great. I'm not saying that you shouldn't trust the English translation. A more literal translation is that you will be filled with God's fullness. So you could circle the word fullness and maybe just star it to try to place yourself into this presence of God, to orient yourself toward the presence of God. This is the passage that Paul ends with, the prayer, the doxology that completes some of his best theological, most concise work to help us understand who God is and what God did and how God does. And the rest of, the, of Ephesians is now, how do we live with this? <laughs> like, well, how, then how should our lives look if we're trying to reflect the love of God? But it's actually, it's bigger than this. It's bigger than Ephesians. And this is what I want to quickly try to show you. It's actually the thread that connects the entire Bible from beginning to end. The presence of God with his people. And so there's lots of threads that you can find through the Bible. I think this might be the primary thread. So the thread of kingdom is actually an outpouring, a, a result of God's presence with his people. Salvation is because God comes to meet his people. But let's, let's just start at the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, God creates the whole world and then he puts his people in this garden and it says that he walks with them. So he's with them in the garden. And then Abraham's tent. This is uh, this little icon we've used before. This is actually a, a depiction of the Trinity coming to visit Abraham in his tent. And so we use this sometimes for communion because it's showing Father, Holy Spirit, and Jesus in the middle. And you can see they're in the form of like a 
a wine glass. And so it's God coming to meet Abraham and give him a promise of a son and of generations of descendants that will be too numerous to count. It's about God coming to meet with Abraham. And then God comes to meet with Moses in this bush that's on fire but won't burn. And then he comes to the mountain of Mount Sinai to give his people this charter on how a new life outside of slavery in the promised land would look. And, and then we, we certainly have prophets that describe this, but it comes through, I think, most clearly in the Psalms. Uh, in Psalm 73, is it? Let the whole, 72, let the whole earth be filled with the glory of the Lord. Again, in the Old Testament, where God's glory is, that's where his presence has come to rest. After Mount Sinai, the people of Israel built a tabernacle. They set it at the, be- the very center of their camp. And it's to kind of reflect this reality that this is where heaven and earth overlap. And it's true. That's true because this is where God is. And there was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day to show that presence. And the whole camp oriented around that place. And when the fire moved, the people went too. And when they finally settle into the land, they build a temple. They believed that God was bigger than the temple, that God like reigned from heaven, that he wasn't, the, God wasn't only in the temple, but he was everywhere. But this was the place that helped them understand like that God is with us and we can go and worship him. We can go and meet with him. And so the theme of presence takes us through the entire Old Testament. But then in the New Testament, it's Jesus, the fullness of God's presence in a person to show us what his love is like. And then when Jesus goes, he sends his spirit to dwell in the church. And so his presence is carried by us in our hearts through faith. But this is not the end of the project because the goal, what God wants to do is he wants his presence to fill his entire creation. And so at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 21 and 22, we have this imagery of heaven crashing into earth. And it says, we don't even need a sun anymore because Jesus is so bright, and he comes to dwell, to live with his people, and that's what actually brings all of what is broken, all of what is crooked, healed and straight. It's it's the presence of God that I want to impress upon you as the goal of our love, as the goal of our knowledge, and as not, not just the place of power, but like anytime there's a miracle, it's, it's to point us back to Jesus, to point us back to the presence of God with us. And so I want to show just a two-minute video. Uh, it's an interview between John Mark Comer and Strong Coleman. Uh, Strong Coleman was a vineyard pastor. They're, they're talking about what it means to be contemplative charismatics. I'm going to show two minutes, but I'll share like the full hour-long uh, interview uh, by a text if you're on our resource share, but can you pull up that video quick? Thanks. Matic, what I think about is sort of accessing the experiential realm of Trinitarian life in God. So when I think about if I, 
the charismatic part of me is the part that says, yes, absolutely, God can be experienced. He can heal people. He can prophesy today through the church. He can do the things that Jesus did then. And on top of that, have a vibrant felt um, closeness with me. And so when I think of charismatic like that, contemplative is a perfect match because the contemplative life is really just a way of saying, I can access God, the Trinity, and be in union with him um, through things like solitude, solitude and silence as a practice. So maybe, maybe the contemplative and the charismatic are the same, at least in desire, but maybe they, they just differ in sort of energy spend. So um, what do I mean by that? I think of, when I think charismatic, I think external energy spend, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm going to sing out, we're going to get in groups, we're going to, you know, the old language of Pentecostal language of tarrying with God. I don't know if anyone was around, you know, when I was coming through, it was like, we're going to tarry all night. And I don't even yes. know what it really means, but, you know, they're, they're going hard after God and pressing in. And it's a lot of energy spend. And when I think of, when I think of the contemplative life, instead of pushing that energy outward, singing louder, gathering louder, pushing harder, it's more of a receding into the energy of God that abides within us. So it's almost seeking, it is seeking the same thing, but via a different, a different um, spend. And so the contemplative would say, God abides in me. I am abiding in Christ, therefore I'm abiding in Trinity. And as I ease into that, as I rest into that, out comes this abundant vitality, this life that then pours itself out to others. Um, and what I, what okay, I mean, let's stop the video there because I had like a plan to show you a longer clip, but we're going to do the short clip. I want to impress this on you one more time. What, what he was saying is the thing that brings our contemplative and charismatic harmony really together is the manifest presence of God. That God is not just kind of everywhere that if we were just paying attention, he, we would see him. That's true. Like he is active all the time everywhere. But that there are moments where the power of God and the presence of God is especially acute. Like at Pentecost. Like God was everywhere and then he came in power. And it sometimes comes through spiritual disciplines, sometimes through worship, sometimes through a time like what we have in ministry time, sometimes through repentance, sometimes through a moment that we weren't expecting, a surprise like, where did that come from? But to keep, but to keep us balanced, to, to remind you that the maturity of our faith is measured in love, it's actually, it's, it's even backwards from that. The maturity of our faith, what Paul is saying here is related to how we love other people and how we love God. But it's actually, it's better than that because it's how well we grasp God's love for us that Paul is actually contending for here. His prayer is that we would grasp how wide and deep and high the love of God is for us. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.